Hello again. So I remember a few years back, uh, somebody sent me their report, marine biologist. And uh, I thought, oh, this is fascinating. And they tested the effects on noise on different mammals. And uh, this was, part of it was done out of uh, South Africa. And another one was done, if I'm not mistaken, closer to the Canaries in Spain, Canary Islands. And I thought, this is fascinating because we are still discovering pretty much how they communicate. So if you have two mammals trying to communicate to each other and there's different noise, how do they evolve around that? Do they repeat the message? Do they go louder? Do they use different frequencies? So um, I, uh, I spent since then uh, quite a bit of time just reading and, and discovering and learning. Great exercise as I find that uh, the, depending on needs, causes, and so forth, uh, communication does differ, but it tended to, in, in that very specific case, to repeat itself ongoingly. And I thought, that was, uh, that's interesting. Well, an article came out uh, in the BBC by Anna Turns, came out last week. And it's called Noise and Chemical Pollution in Our Oceans Are Affecting Marine Mammals' Ability to Navigate, Communicate, and Detect Danger. I've uh, shared different articles uh, on the topic, and I've made a few comments here and there, and this article is different, so I thought I would take the time to read it. And uh, with that same title, you'll be able to find it on the BBC webpage. I've worn glasses since the age of five. My hearing isn't brilliant in busy environments, and like many others, I lost my sense of taste during COVID-19, which was incredibly disorientating. Disorientating. <laughs> Thank you. Perhaps once our senses are pushed to their limits, we begin appreciating them all the more. But we're certainly not the only ones relying on multiple senses. Marine mammals depend on them to communicate, navigate, feed, hear, and detect danger. It's hard for us to imagine how marine creatures sense within their world. What's clear is that the picture is complex and that human-induced impacts make that even more challenging. Pollution is ubiquitous, but not homogeneous. There is oil and gas exploration on the seabed, military exercises, increasing shipping traffic, and the relatively new threat of deep-sea mining. Add to that sewage outflows, industrial discharge, and agricultural runoff. The marine environment is getting busier, noisier, and more polluted. So what are the hidden dangers to marine life? As a marine stranding vo strandings volunteer for the Devon Wildlife Trust in southwest England, I'm regularly asked to take photos and measurements of marine mammals stranded along my local coastline. Sometimes there'll be noticeable injuries, rake marks from the teeth of bottlenose dolphin attacks perhaps, long straight cuts in the skin from a fishing line, or occasionally a tail clean cut off as a result of bycats. Usually though, the actual cause of death isn't simple to identify. A crack team of scientists are on a mission to discover more about how human-induced impacts affect UK populations of whales, dolphins and porpoises. To find out more about their research, I visited Rob Deville, a stranding scientist at the UK Cetacean Strandings Investigation Programme, this summer. 
every year he dissects about 150 stranded porpoises, dolphins, and whales to find out what might have killed them. In some cases, it can be very evident, for example, bycatch, ship strike, gray seal predation, bottlenose dolphin attack. Those causes of death are really obvious. But even a high level of pollution is not necessarily causal in an animal's death. It's more associated, says Deville. You're looking through a keyhole at one aspect, at what I call the terminal end, and then trying to look backwards at what that animal has experienced throughout their lifetime. High noise pollution or limited prey availability, climate change, chemical, chemical pollution, all those things have an impact. It's hard to tease that apart for any single individual pressure, he says. Watching Deauville deconstruct Deauville, yes, sorry, that's Deville, sorry, deconstruct this porpoise was a fascinating biology lesson in itself. But more than that, it highlighted just how much these creatures can reflect their marine environment and how they live within it. From the parasitic worms living in their lungs, guts, and liver, to the delicate fish bones found within one of porpoise's three stomachs, every insight is valuable. But the most crucial of all, Deville tells me, is the sample of blubber, that fatty layer just beneath the skin, that he cuts out from just by the base of the dorsal fin. It's about an inch thick, acts like a ledger. Deville will send it off for pollutant analysis by expert toxicologists. This help builds a picture of some of the less visible impacts that may be affecting marine life and potentially contribute to their death. I set out to investigate how less visible forms of human-induced pollution, both chemical and acoustic, could affect the senses and survival of porpoises, dolphins, and whales, and discovered that there's a lot going on beneath the waves. For whales and dolphins, listening is as important as seeing is for humans, as they live in a world of water and sound, says Danny Groves, communications manager at the nonprofit Whale and Dolphin Conservation. He adds that the impacts of human-induced disturbance on certain seans are huge. Noise pollution threatens whale and dolphin populations, interrupting their normal behavior, driving them away from areas important to their survival, for breeding, socializing, and feeding, and at worst, injuring them or sometimes even causing death, he says. Natural impacts such as earthquakes and lightning strikes also make big sudden noises but tend to be more intermittent. Tooth whales, a group that includes narwhals, dolphins, and porpoises, hunt using echolocatin or biosonar. They hear at high frequency ranges, baleen whales hear at lower frequencies, and may be more affected by shipping noises as a result. There's more to sound than just noise, though. Joy Reidenberg, a professor who studies whale anatomy at ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York, explains that sound acts as a pressure wave. Wherever in the body there are air-containing spaces, those can compress, then overexpand as a whale dives and ascends. But if tissues can't deform accordingly, they'll rupture she says. Seismic surveys, used to pinpoint deposits of oil and gas in the seabed, are incredibly intrusive, loud booms of sound. I'm pretty sure the whale would feel that as a pressure wave moving through their body, and also as a sound that they can hear. 
So there is a tactile aspect to hearing that we often overlook. How much of that pressure is felt by the skin is unknown. Chemoreception, that includes both smell and taste, could play a significant role too, Reidenberg explains. That baleen whales can possibly smell. Smell. <laughs> While some whales have taste receptors on their tongues, but that it's not yet clear what, expect, what exactly they are detecting. They tend to swallow prey whole, so maybe they are tasting the water to detect when they get close to prey or sensing salinity, which may help them navigate, says Reidenberg. It's even possible that narwhals could sense salinity through the sensitive pores in their tusk. That could be a really important sense. Wall vision, whale vision, sorry, is a much better than we'd expect it to be, says Reidenberg, though some species rely on it more than others. Indus and Ganges River dolphins are functionally blind because their murky habitat precludes them from needing to see. Orcas, on the other hand, spy hop out of the water when hunting seals and have rel relatively good eyesight. Research suggests that all these ways of sensing are being impaired by human activity. For whales, dolphins and porpoises, both chemical and acoustic pollution affects the way their bodies can function in many ways. Some effects are immediate and acute, while others are more long-term and chronic. Besides impacting their senses and ability to communicate, marine pollution can impair their fertility and immune systems. Thomas Goetz, an expert in bioacoustics at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, studies how marine mammals are affected by human-generated noise and how sound can be used to keep animals away from harm. He explains why context is key. To really understand the effects of pollutant, you really need to understand the physiology of this animal, of the sensory system, of each for each species. Each pollutant in a cetacean's habitat can have different effects. There's unfortunately no way around looking in real detail and accepting the complexity of it, because they have all evolved very differently, sensory organs, and their perceptual worlds differ, says Goetz. Acoustic pollution can hinder communication and echolocation sounds change an animal's behavior and elevate stress levels. For North Atlantic right whales, low frequency noise from big ships can result in an increase in stress-related chemicals linked to growth suppression, reduced fertility, and poor immune system function. That chronic stress is having a physiological impact. Sudden and acute impulsive noise in the marine environment might lead to ear trauma hemorrhages, while more chronic exposure from the constant low-level whir of a shipping lane nearby could perhaps shift its behavior patterns and make communication or feeding more difficult. Deep-diving whales and dolphins can also suffer from decompression sickness or the bends when they surface too quickly. Over time, lesions or tears in the internal tissue form due to nitrogen bubble formation but it's hard to conclude whether that happened due to natural causes or human-induced noise. Different species are more sensitive to sound than others, says Deville, who motions towards the Cuvier's beaked whale tooth on the desk in front of him. That's the deepest diving cetacean species. It holds its breath for nearly three hours, dives down to 3,000 meters in some instances, and is really operating at the edge of what is physiologically possible he says. That's perhaps why they are more sensitive to noise disturbance, 
most of these mid-frequency sonar navy relative navy, navy relative related mass strandings involved beaked whales, particularly cuviers. So I suspect if they dive down as deep as they possibly can, they're more at risk of coming to the surface too quickly and getting into conditions that might be problematic. Scientist Maria Morell at the University of Veterinary Medicine in Hanover, Germany, is studying the ears and ear bones from stranded toothed whales such as pilot whales and developing a protocol to assess loss of hearing in whales. Once stabilized in formalin to preserve the sample, she analyzes the ear using a scanning electron microscope and has noticed that the loss of the tiny hair cells and membrane scar, scarring within the inner, inner ear may indicate loss of auditory function. But when that hearing loss happened exactly and what caused it remains unknown. According to Reidenberg, military sonar pulses act like a sound bomb and certain frequencies could result in decompression sickness. The US Navy, she adds, does its best to protect marine wildlife. Sona is well regulated, but in wartime those regulations are lifted. The Navy is making extraordinary efforts to tag, track, track and monitor whale to protect them from sonar exercises. That said, military operations in Europe have been implicated in mass cetacean deaths. When 85 harbour porpoises stranded along 100 kilometres of Danish coastline within one week of each other during April 2005, bycatch was initially established as the cause of death for most, due to net markings on their skin and the loss of tail flukes. Local fishermen confirmed that porpoise bycatch was much higher than usual in nets than that had been set to catch lumpfish. Further investigation revealed military ships in the area that week en route to a huge naval exercise. In a study, Andrew Wright, a marine mammal researcher from Aarhus University in Denmark, concluded that while the use of sonar cannot be confirmed, it certainly cannot be ruled out as a contributing factor to increased bycatch rates. Perhaps sonar resulted in a more purpose being driven away from the noise towards nets, or perhaps disturbance masked the air ability to detect the static fishing gear, he said. As Deville states, these things stack up in combination. That highlights the problem. It's impossible to disentangle every effect. Deep sea mining could also cause severe disturbance. According to new research, marine researchers estimated that noise from just one mine on the seabed could travel approximately 500 kilometers through the water column in gentle weather conditions. In places where multiple mines might operate, the cumulative effects of acoustic pollution could be far greater because seabed mining companies have not yet shared their data on noise pollution. This study used noise levels from well-studied industries such as oil and gas industry ships and coastal dredgers to model conservative estimates. The actual seabed mining equipment is far larger and more powerful than the proxies, the experts say. One of the study co-authors, Christine Erber, a professor in underwater acoustics at Australia's Curtin University, says, Estimating the noise of future equipment and installations is a challenge, but we don't have to wait until the first mines are operational to discover the noise they make. By identifying the level of noise in the engineering design phase, we can better prepare for how this might impact marine life. In the Arctic, narwhals, deep-diving whales with the long protruding unicorn-like tooth, 
live relatively far from human activity. But as the ice melts, more shipping routes are opening up through this region and oil and gas exploration is increasing. Scientists from the University of California have recently found that when narwhals in Greenland were exposed to seismic air guns, oil and gas survey instruments which produce high-intensity sound bursts, they immediately began diving quickly down from the surface. Normally, they'd glide down to conserve energy, but this speedy escape tactic is affecting how much blood and oxygen circulates in their body. It also distracts from other behaviors, such as feeding, according to data collected using monitoring tags. All these invisible pollutants need to be taken into account. Hannah Nuktila, a marine ecology researcher at Swansea University, Wales, says it's vital to appreciate the cumulative effect of different stresses and pathways to disturbance. Disturbance <clears throat> is both physical, such as in water structures that includes every single coastal and offshore construction from oil and gas platforms to wind farm piles, harbors and marinas and renewable energy structures, but also mobile in terms of ships, ferries, tankers and luxury cruisers, she says. She adds that all marine renewables are having to undergo much more detailed scrutiny in terms of impacts on wildlife than oil, gas and nuclear ever did. Obviously, fishing too causes not just entanglement, but also decreasing prey availability. All these tend to have a noise effect as well as, well, while most of also leak oil, organic waste or chemicals into the sea. Nutila emphasizes the need to create designated safe zones free from human disturbance and the Marine Mammal Protected Areas Task Force runs a global initiative to create just that in the form of important to marine mammal areas. Toxic synthetic chemicals are perhaps one of the most insidious forms of pollution entering the ocean. The worst culprits are persistent organic pollutants that don't break down easily and are lipophilic or fat-loving. They end up in the blubber of porpoises, dolphins and whales. One particularly toxic legacy contaminant, so-called because it's still causing problems decades after being banned, is a class of 209 industrial chemicals known as polychlorinated biphenyls or PCBs. Invented in the 1920s, they were used in machinery coolant, electrical goods, flame retardants, paints and building sealants. Although banned globally for more than 40 years ago, they linger in landfills and escape into the marine environment. Deville explains why PCBs are so concerning. They work in two ways. They affect the immune system, so animals might have lots of secondary diseases because the immune system is basically knackered, and more insidiously, they also affect reproduction, so in highly PCB-exposed uh, populations, there will be a drop-off in young animals being born. A population of whales might not have a calf for a long time, even though they should be reproductively active. That to us would be a red flag and indicate potential PCB exposure. In 2016, an orca known as Lulu was found dead on the coast of the Isle of Tyree, the most westerly island of the Inner Hebrides in Scotland, after becoming entangled in fishing gear. A post-mortem of her body found that her body contained extremely high levels of PCBs, and scientists concluded that she was one of the most contaminated animals on the planet in terms of PCB burden. 
On examination of her ovaries, the scientists at the Scottish Marine Animal Stranding Scheme found no evidence of her ever having been reproductively active. Throughout any animal's lifetime, exposure to pollutant changes from place to place and from time to time. Exposure impacts different species to varying degrees too. Orcas tend to live for longer and then porpoises, for example, so they have more time to accumulate chemical pollutants in their bodies. They also feed at higher level within the food chain, so they're eating bigger fish and other marine mammals which themselves contain contaminants. Deville explains that pops are stored within the blubber. When an, animal, when an animal's nutritional state deteriorates, either seasonally or as a result of illness perhaps, those toxic contaminants are released into the blood as the fat layer thins. Toxic chemicals are also passed on to calves via breast milk, and so a mother can unwittingly offload toxic pollution onto a firstborn calf, sometimes resulting in death. Rosie Williams, a toxicologist who works alongside Deville, found in a 2021 study that high levels of PCBs in blubber samples from 267 stranded harbor porpoises are associated with reduced testicle size in male harbor porpoises. These pollutants are having a direct impact on fertility and potentially affecting the future breeding success of the species. PCBs are also known to suppress the immune system, so porpoises with higher contaminant levels are more likely to die from infectious disease. Of course, marine mammals are not experiencing just one chemical at a time. Since it began in 1990, the UK Citizen Standings Investigation Programme has carried out more than 4,000 necropsies on porpoises, dolphins and whales, and tested for a wide range of pollutants, from the widely known banned pesticide DDT to anti-foul paint residues and flame retardants added to textiles, textiles. An animal may be living in a heavily fished area with lots of bycatch, less prey, heavily contaminated, lots of noises. All those things are happening in tandem all at once. That's how the animal lives its life. Deville says there's a cumulative impact. It's a complex thing to get a handle on. In the case of the stranded porpoise being dissected in the lab, chemical pollution may well have played a part in a few months' time, toxicology reports. will show more about its specific chemical burden. Ultimately, for Deville and Williams, it's about noticing changing trends, which could then inform policy and change how pollutants are managed. Plastics are high up on the agenda too. A 2019 study by the University of Exeter found microplastics within all 50 marine mammals sampled that had stranded on UK shores. As yet, the actual impacts of those plastic particles on cetacean survival remains inconclusive. Experts say that rather than having to cope with threats one at a time, animals experience the combined pressures of multiple forms of pollution within the marine environment. Marine mammals are living in a soup of pollution issues, says Deville. The effects change depending on location or depth, and the animal's season on stage of life, uh, that's the animal's season or stage of life, he adds. So much of the damage and disturbance human activity causes accidental and preventable, says Tom Mustill, filmmaker and author of a new book called How to Speak Whale. 
By designing things differently and considering how something might affect other animals, especially whales and dolphins that use such sophisticated communication, we can drastically reduce those negative consequences, he says. Enforcing speed limits on shipping vessels could drastically reduce collisions, for example. On the east coast of the U.S., proposals to introduce dynamic speed zones could help protect endangered North Atlantic right whales in areas where these marine mammals are detected. Slower ship speeds give the animals more time to adapt their navigation accordingly and reduce the risk of ship strikes. This science of discovering what the sentry lives of these animals are like, how they perceive the world and how they communicate within it, allows us to understand how we might impact that and modify our impacts to that. That could be transformative, says Mustill. As stomach-wrenching as this porpoise post-mortem post was to witness, it's clear that each stranding provides scientists with invaluable insight into how these cetaceans live and die, and how our actions are impacting them. The next step is to adapt strategies and policies accordingly, so that by reducing pollution, marine wildlife and ocean health are better pro protected. Right, well, sorry for the few mumbles. Um, what is fascinating is that for the last two years, I've been hearing of similar, I was going to say conclusions, but similar assessments for human beings. And um, it goes without say that uh, all, these, all these different combinations of issues and pollution, whether it's noise or chemical, will affect differently to whoever it is, uh, whether the person is younger, older, more sensitive, lower immune system due to whatever reason. Um, we can imagine a very similar scenario within the mammals that were referred to in this article. So I thought I would share this with you. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's been somewhat informative and I hope it drives you to be curious and to go out and do your own research so that we can all be a little more knowledgeable when it comes to the topics of the ocean. Thank you very much, and until the next recording.